Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, don't make me run, I'm full of chocolate. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by a man who claims he caught the Easter bunny and that it tasted rather delicious with some roast potatoes. My co-host, Simon Maddox. How are you doing, you Easter bunny boiler? That sounded to me a bit like a Terry Wogan intro. Like it was all soft and gay and lovely. Um... Yeah, it made me think Wogan. <laughs> Is that where I'm headed? Hitting your stride, mate. Oh, yeah, that's all. <laughs> I mean, that's no higher praise. Uh, German listeners might not know who Terry Wogan was. I'm sure he has a like-for-like uh, like version in Germany, but he was a... Uh... Is he dead? Yeah, he's dead. Is Wogan dead? Oh, he died a when while ago. Die? I think he died like a couple of decades ago, you know? <laughs> was it really that long ago? Yeah, okay. yeah. And uh, yeah, he was a television personality he had a chat show had a radio show um a lovely irish lilt he was famous for mm. there's a if you want to if you want to stop the podcast and google something quickly <laughs> google terry wogan nick cage and just watch the insanity i promise you you will not be disappointed anyway i was also made to think of augustus gloop in your with all without saying <laughs> i was i was trying to uh channel gunter or is it it's the little german kid from the simpsons i see i believe he's called gunter yeah, yeah. i have a feeling he's, um, uh, we're gonna get pelters because he's probably not called <laughs> gunter. but anyway isn't a fair enough name i'm not gonna google it it seems like a waste of time um yeah so there's an episode where i can't remember what happens homer chase, chases him with a with a towel in a changing room and he goes no please mr simpson i can't run i'm full of chocolate <laughs> and given that it's been easter and we're all Pretty, pretty full of chocolate. It's quite applicable. Um, yeah. How was your your Easter shenanigans? Did you have a good Easter holiday? It, it was. It was all right. It was. It was a pretty relaxing time. Obviously, last week my mum was here over from oh, the yeah, UK. First time we've seen each other in a mm-hmm. long time, and so that involved a lot of lengthy walks and doing things that, like, yeah, in in the nice sunshine. It was really, really nice having her over. It really was wonderful spending time with each other. But, yeah, like, there were some big walks, and I, I haven't done a huge amount of big walks since recovering from corona but yeah it went well and we had a nice day in the city as well again i haven't i've been in the city really once just to like be there apart from that i've always like been there for work or had a very very specific reason in and out and we just had like a stroll around obviously without the mask mandate and people being a bit more sort of free with space and things like that. it felt kind of normal which was really really nice yeah it was it was good but it did mean that i was absolutely knackered when it came around to easter and so, yeah, it was just a pretty relaxing time. Uh, I aerated my lawn. What does that Thank mean? you very much. Is that something you've got to do? <laughs> oh, God, is that another job I've got to do? Ugh. When we last saw our landlord, he's like, if you're going to stay here for a long time, you could get one of these. And it, it, yeah, it basically churns up your lawn and your grass. And by doing so, you can then like spread some fertilizer on it, and then you'll have a better lawn uh, next year. Right. And okay. my, my, my lovely neighbor, Uwe, uh, who has one of everything for all sort of gardening and mechanical needs uh, had done his and he offered to let us borrow his machine and so i whipped around churning up my lawn and i've spread fertilizer and yeah waiting for good greenness to spread in bountiful plenty all over my lawn and hopefully it's, it's a, a bumpy year from for lawn mowing anyone who's german will know the phrase english rasen and mm-hmm. um, and this is the the german concept of the english lawn being the example of the perfect lawn yeah and yeah as an englishman with a rasen like i do feel a certain amount of pressure i'm not going to go all in on it but 
I don't want to be the Englishman who's like completely letting the side down, like being negligent with my lawn. So yeah, I've enjoyed making some jokes with my neighbour about English horizon this week. He's laughed at all of them, bless him. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite funny because it's a weird one because it's obviously a stereotype about like if you've been to a council estate and seen the neck of some people's front gardens, some of them are just concreted, some of them are just un- unkept. The idea of an English lawn is probably a bit, bit fantasy coming from like country houses and national heritage sites and so forth the average yeah. sort of lawn isn't as well maintained as one of those but it, it's funny that you have this sort of stereotype that you're like god damn it i'm gonna adhere to this the neighbors <laughs> believe this is true they see me drinking tea all the time i can't exactly i've got to be as brash as possible <laughs> I'm, try- I'm trying to like we've taken a hit over brexit i'm trying my best to show all the positive sides um yeah I'm I'm bouncy, I'm bubbly, I'm drinking tea, I'm I'm offering everyone English tea with milk. No real takers so far, but the offering counts, I guess. I had two weird things that happened to us just today, and one of them is connected to what you just said. I went to the doctors earlier today, and uh, his first f- question to us wasn't like anything about my health or anything about anything else related to my visit. It, he asked us about Brexit. I was like, come mm. on, dude. Like he's like, oh, so how is everything with Brexit? And like, I made a joke, and and I think if if you'd been British, you would have picked up on the like, let's change the topic. And I was like, ah, oh, ah, oh, come on, doctor, that's so 2019. And the nurse laughed, and he went, yes, but anyway, <laughs> so I continued. <laughs> I was like, oh god. So I was like, it's not good. I was there two weeks ago. Blah blah blah. And so that was the first sort of weird thing connected to what you said. The other thing is not connected to what you said, but it is really weird. And I think it's worth telling that to you now and see what you think, right? So when you have a kid, something that happens really a lot, unless you dress them in super masculine clothes with like boy on the front and this is a boy, boy tractor or something like that, or uh-huh. dress them really, really feminine with like pink princess dresses or whatever kids are liable to be misgendered by randoms on a regular basis and my daughter is is quite consistently misgendered because she just wears well she wears cool clothes but they're not always sort of frilly (laughs) dresses and stuff like that and and it might surprise you to hear but it turns out like little girls can wear jeans as well as little boys but apparently Mm -hmm. the people in my town haven't quite cottoned on to that reality yet anyway (laughs) so we're leaving the Tiger's motor this afternoon, and she was like pulling along, and it's dead funny. She's she's wearing jeans now, which makes me laugh because she looks like a little, like a proper little human instead of like little kids' clothes. <laughs> she's like got little adults' clothes. It just makes me laugh. Anyway, she's pulling along, and I'm sort of admiring her as she goes, and I'm looking down at her, and I hear this voice saying, "Oh, this is Anshuna's boob, right? Like the boob uh-huh. is as we've talked about is is another word for like little boy, right? Yeah. And I, and I was about to look up and go." Sister a mädchen, like in a really aggressive way. I came face to face with a nun, <laughs> like a full on nun, like a full on, like really old, lovely looking, like old nun, right? <laughs> I was about to like basically go, fuck off. <laughs> I was just so shocked. And she like was looking and then she looked at me and I'm obviously looked really shocked. <laughs> she was like, oh, and sort of looked a bit shocked as well. And I thought, I think I might have been, <laughs> oh, I've been condemned to Hades in that moment. <laughs> It's such a weird scenario. Like, what What do you say? Do you just go, yeah. <laughs> like, yes, you're right, um, Mother Superior. Or what? Like, I, I, you can't insult a nun, can you? Really? I mean, you I can't d- shout at a nun. I wouldn't. Um, 
I'm not particularly religious, and obviously we're we're just over the Easter hump. So I guess now's the time to be really <laughs> attentive uh, to pleasing all of God's servants. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't. I I can't remember the last time I came face to face with a nun. Uh, <laughs> so yeah I, I probably would have been rattled by that experience as well but I like the fact you rattled her cage a little that she came out feeling like huh? what, what happened I think that's good yeah I like I like that I passed on the confusion yeah. of the conversation that we hadn't really had uh, to each other and I just said I just said Gru Scott and she said Gru Scott and it, the moment <laughs> passed but it was, <laughs> it was like it's not something it's really not something you expected but i guess in bavaria any moment you're surrounded by <laughs> monks and nuns because there is a lot of monasteries around here at any 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 one time you're only five meters away from a nun <laughs> i say i have i have taken to entering rooms and like shops and stuff and hitting people with the Gruce god off the bat uh, i do find it quite sort of therapeutic i think like you really take command of a room when you walk in and you don't just say like hello it's like gross god <laughs> everyone's like yeah it's gross god do you think you get like more do you get more from a gross god than you get from a service service being the other way of greeting somebody for me the way i'm booming it out it, it sort of screams confidence and happiness and optimism for the day ahead <laughs> whereas in servus <laughs> is much more like i'm i'm just trying to like blend in here I'm trying to be like cool, <laughs> like don't don't give me no hassle. Whereas Gruce God is like, talk to me. <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think you should sort of dismiss a good, solid, hearty hello. I still find that has has traction in mm-hmm. in the greeting people in the street stakes. I do f- feel like when I walk past someone and living where I live, you're sort of obliged to say hello. I mean, you even see that in some cities. I've seen that in cities where people who've never never met each other before have said hello. Yeah. And it's, it is still a little bit wild when that happens. Well, the rules are weird. They change so quickly. Like where I live, if I walk past someone in the woods here, I'd say nine times out of ten, mm-hmm. they make eye contact and say hello. And at the end of the woods is a canal. And the canal has an upper and lower path. On the lower path, which is basically next mm-hmm. to the woods, people still say hello. On the upper path, nobody says hello. There's like people deliberately not making eye contact. And everyone follows this rule like it's weird it's really really weird I, I don't i don't get the rules but everyone seems to but my mum she'll send hello to people that i wasn't on our walks <laughs> she really just really loved it she's getting into the whole german greeting growing in confidence hitting with hellos <laughs> i said this a few weeks ago that i have a neighbor who i can see out of my front kitchen window uh because the hedge isn't fully sort of grown back after winter and i came out the house the other day and the whole family was there. My wife sort of walked past and said hello, and they said hello. And I was like locking the door or something. And then I came out and said hello. Only one of them said hello. And I say, like, "What the fuck, eh? Come on, like, <laughs> make an effort." I can see you all through the hedge. There's eight of you. I can even see the cake you're eating. Come on, oh. like show some bloody respect. But yeah, no. I just found <laughs> another one of those weird scenarios that hasn't. No one's really prepared me for. Should I say hello to the neighbours when I can see them through the hedge? Like, yeah. Cooey! Hello. I'm currently struggling with the how often do you see uh, do you say hello when you see them multiple times a day? I've seen Uva four times today and I've waved at him every time and <laughs> feels like it's getting out of hand. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's how many waves is that, sorry? Did you say four, four waves times? I've four given waves. Him today, yeah. I feel I feel like the next time you see him you should just ignore him just to just to keep it like so he knows his place. It doesn't get I mean I'm, I'm waving <laughs> super casual, like, like I'm not I'm not aggressively standing there with a wave on. <laughs> standing in the garden in the rain yeah. waving at him. <laughs> with a soundless as well. But yeah, it's tricky. And whilst my mum was here, sorry to come back to this again, but the houses next to us, the first one is the grandma of the family lives there and in the back house is mm. where her son Uwe lives. 
and none of them have ever spoken English with me and that's fine no problem with that but I was in the back of the garden whilst Yana uh, and my mum were doing things in the front and I heard our neighbour Valtrad who's I don't know late 70s maybe even early 80s talking English so what I could tell her it was English didn't know what was being said ambled my way down the garden I didn't want to startle her and then yeah she was like speaking in English with my mum it was very very sweet of her uh, and I think that's probably the end of it. But she did finish with the beautiful Danglish phrase, come good home. Oh, yeah. Hidden depths, my friend. It was very, very sweet. Maybe you should stand yeah. in the rain waving at them. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you should be doing. <laughs> One of the most craved and popular things around this time of year, of course, is chocolate in egg form. One of the icons of this eggy chocolate movement is the Cadbury cream egg. Nick, are you a fan of the cream egg? I just like that you call it an eggy chocolate movement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do, yeah, no, um, the cream egg, yeah, man. Like, it's a sort of staple of my childhood. It was, I think it was only ever produced before Easter. It's You can get them all year round now, but I remember them only being available yeah. during Easter and then suddenly becoming available uh, and, and not being available any other time massive uh staple of the british sort of easter pantheon of chocolate <laughs> pantheon of chocolate makes it sound very grand indeed you're right it is a year-round thing that used to be in a one-month cycle i guess that and the mini egg mm. i think the mini egg is harder to find off season than a cream egg these days i think that's true uh, i think that's yeah true. I, I love a mini egg they are they're my favorite of all the egg chocolates but yeah the cream egg has been around for a long long time it's over 60 years old wow for those of you who haven't been lucky enough to have sampled the goodness of a cream egg it's a chocolate cream egg and inside it's a chocolate egg sorry milk chocolate egg and inside there is a, a cream that is in the color and shape formation of the white and the yellow of the egg uh, yeah yeah, full on so yolk. It's designed to look like a yolk yeah. and white bit. So if you cut through it with a knife, it would look like a boiled egg. Yeah, essentially. It's like a fondant, isn't yeah. it? It is a fondant, yeah. And this is the weird thing about it. It's been around for 60 years, and a lot of people, I guess the vast majority, do not know that it is a fondant. Because it's called a cream egg, I think a lot of people assume it's cream or cream adjacent. Oh. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a fondant. What they thought was some kind of like milk based, like a sauna type thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. This doesn't even taste like cream. Come on. It doesn't, but I mean, it's called a cream egg, so you would assume there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of pointing in the wrong direction going on with the name of this product. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people just call it a goo or a filling, or they would just call it the yolk uh, or the white of the egg. But it's a creme egg, isn't it? It's, it's C R E M E. It's like the, surely that's the giveaway, right? It's not. Yeah, but nobody calls it <laughs> creme egg. <laughs> it's a cream egg. Sounds like the French tourist. Do they call it creme egg up in up in the north? No, it's still a cream egg. Like no one's no one's. Je voudrais un creme egg like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one's no one's pulling that shit. I mean that they are like I, that was my egg. So every year, every year would get the the four of us, me and my three brothers, would get an Easter egg, and usually it was sort of one big egg and maybe a couple of small ones if we're lucky from sort of various relatives but we always have like one egg that was that was that was our main one i'd always get the cream egg or a smarties egg mm -hmm. and you used to get like mugs and stuff you don't get that anymore you used to get like yeah. always got a mug i've got still got some mugs from from various easter eggs you get a mug and that would be like your sort of tea mug for the year and sort of things like that yeah and it was like it was a whole thing to it when i was in the uk i was like thought oh, i'll go and bring back like an, an egg and all the 
it'll be maybe it'll be a cup or something with it and the only ones that had cups were like pepper pig eggs and you know okay we're not, i'm not like and you don't get it in germany because you don't get like one big egg do you you get like lots of tiny eggs you get lint bunnies you get like lots of chocolate or like rabbit shaped chocolates but you don't get like a big easter egg unless you're maybe getting it from a, a high-end chocolate shop a chocolatier yeah i was gonna say chocolatier but i wasn't sure if that was the right word and i didn't want to sound like a complete twat but <laughs> now, now i've given the game away i'm a complete twat um <laughs> <laughs> the, so so we don't you don't really get that here it was a big thing in britain all of them were like you know when you see a transformers egg or you'd see like any kind of movie tie-in mm-hmm. tv tie-in cartoon you knew that that would be shit and what would be good would be a cabri's yeah. choice or a, god forbid a nestle's choice um, i was a kid i wasn't thinking about geopolitical sort of <laughs> food companies but we we should do don't buy yeah. nestle they're a bunch of pricks indeed cabri's aren't any better no <laughs> so, <laughs> so um yeah that was that was the thing that you'd avoid if somebody got your transformers egg you'd be like ah oh, cheers uncle jack and then you'd be like that's gonna be taste like shit because yeah. you knew it would be just cheap and rubbish but it seems to me now that's not necessarily the case that the the high standards of cabri's chocolate still remain i don't know well no is is the, is the long and short of it? Cadbury's has taken a real hit in the market, uh, and we'll talk about what's happened to them in just a second. But yeah, the, the creme egg, the, the cream egg, is is a proper good earner for Cadbury's. Mm. They make five hundred million every year, uh, and two thirds of that are eaten in the UK. So it works out there are three point five cream eggs per citizen. <laughs> yeah, that seems about right. That's an overabundance of cream slash creme egg. Um, but yeah, it is. A really really huge part of the easter cycle these days and as nick rightly says the thing the the quality of chocolate has, has faded in quite a major way and cadbury is a really interesting company to talk about because cadbury's was originally a company started by quakers mm-hmm. uh, and of course the quakers are very very nice people on a, on a religious and on an individual level just a nice mentality that's very sort of caring and considerate and utilitarian. And so Cadbury started in the suburbs of Birmingham and the owners of the company ended up building a village for their workers called Bourneville. Bourneville is also the name of their famous dark chocolate as well, their bitter dark chocolate. So yeah, Cadbury's has this really incredible heritage and I've actually been on the tour of the factory. I was going to ask, have you, been on, have you been on the Cadbury's tour? I've been on the Cadbury's tour. Yeah, it's good. Well, I mean, it's, it's all right. It's a tour of a chocolate factory where they give you free chocolate. That sounds like a successful day out. They have this these things called the Misfits, which is the best part of the entire uh-huh. trip. I mean, this is going back 20 years, easy 20 years, right? And they gave you like a massive bag of Misfits at the end. And it was just all the chocolate that they couldn't sell because it was weirdly shaped. But yeah. it was still amazing. But yeah, I remember they've got the big factory. It was kind of... When I went, they were leaning into the Willy Wonka yeah, yeah. style, and then as soon as you got into the factory, it was an actual factory, and it didn't look like <laughs> Willy Wonka anymore, which was a bit, bit depressing. But it's it was a grand day out. They did have a a cream egg mobile, which made me yeah very happy. Um, so they did have certain things that uh, you'd expect to see in a whimsical factory like that. But my friends and I nearly got ejected for standing up on the ride. <laughs> The one that takes you around the history of Cocoa. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> you rebel. There was a leaf on one of the trees that, that looked a bit like cannabis, and we're like, <laughs> this looks like weed. And one of us stood up to grab it, and they stopped the ride, and an announcement came on, threatening ejection from the facility. <laughs> you deserved it. <laughs> you fucking rebels. Yeah, good times, though. Good times. Yeah. I, I, actually, I brought back some uh, Cadbury's cream eggs for my daughter the... I mean, it's British culture, isn't it? You want to uh, mm-hmm. know what a cream egg is. There's nothing more depressing than meeting someone whose parents are British and you say something like EastEnders and they go, I don't know what that is. You, know, you at least know what the culture is. Really? <laughs> so I brought back uh, these cream eggs and I haven't had a cream egg in years and were sort of tentatively cut in half and I gave her a bit, instantly got all over her face, went nuts. It was just basically like injecting Sugar. crack in the <laughs> under the bed, just totally insane. Like from the moment, like she, she licked it, her eyes dilated and she started like spinning on it, spinning on her <laughs> fucking axis. She was just insane. And then I was like, wow, that's pretty, pretty instant reaction. And then I had it and I think I, did, I think we all did the same thing. It was just so sweet mm. and I was really not prepared. And it did taste different from how I remember it, but it was still a chocolate egg with fondant in the middle. So it did cover the basics at least it hits that nostalgia button for sure but i mean now the company is owned not by quakers but a company called mondelez international based in chicago illinois with a revenue of over 26 billion operating in 160 countries this is not a a quaker movement for the benefit of the workers anymore and there have been a lot of customer issues um the size of chocolate bars has changed, it got smaller for the price, like secretly and covertly, and the quality of the chocolate has definitely dropped. So yeah, the fact that it tastes a little bit different um, might not just be your brain playing the nostalgia button. Uh, it could just be that it's not as good anymore. It's the palm oil, right? Yes, it is the palm oil indeed. Uh, this is not an ingredient that's been in Cadbury's uh, from the offset. And of course, very bad for the environment, very bad for orangutans, very bad for everyone in the supply chain, mm-hmm. pretty much, apart from Mondelez International. Did you say it was Mond- Mondelez International that owns that owns Cadbury's? Yeah. Because they, interestingly, and this will move us to probably where we want to be talking about Germany, yeah. they also own Milka, you know? Yeah. But isn't it interesting? Milka's not changed. Like, the recipes yeah. for Milka's not changed. Do you reckon they just think British customers are fucking suckers? And they're just like, oh, they'll, they'll just accept any old shit. Whereas the German customers would be, like, outraged. Well, they're, they're playing this quite cleverly in the UK because, obviously, Cadbury is, is the Milka of the UK. Everyone grew up. I guess on Cadbury, and if you if you're too fancy for Cadbury now that you've you've developed, there's a good chance that one of your other brands would be Green and Blacks, which markets itself as organic, bio, like high quality chocolate. That's also mm-hmm. owned by Mondelez, <laughs> and uh, also Fries, which before Cadbury's was the number one chocolate company in the UK by mm-hmm. a long way. They own them as well, so they've definitely got a big tasty chunk uh, of the british chocolate market historically and present so yeah and also a load like oreos ritz like huge huge brands uh, in the u.s mm. as well and globally well that makes sense because i'd noticed that the milker had seemed to have gone like the lego route where you can't buy a milker bar but you can buy a milker bar with mm-hmm. like everything's got something like there's no Every time I go at the shop, there's rarely like a full-size Milka bar. There's just lots of different variants of Milka bars with Oreo yeah. or with Dime bars. or what. And they're delicious, don't get us wrong. And and frankly, chocolate's chocolate in my book. I'm not massively sort of fussy about it, but I, I did sort of think, isn't it interesting that they seem to always have tie-ins with American companies and now it, 
it's clear why. Yeah, you do see a lot of the style and design is a lot more Americanized now as well. Like they have mm-hmm. the the milk and maxis, I think they're called, which are very mm-hmm. sort of over the top multi ingredient things. The graphic design, everything about it is really similar to what I'd mm-hmm. see in the states. And yeah, that stuff works. Oh yeah, <laughs> it sounds really oh. really interesting because of course I think a lot of other people. A lot of German chocolate companies look quite dated when you compare the packaging and design and the flavors. Obviously, you have Ritter Sport, uh, which is sort of the flavor madman. Um, but yeah, if you don't like it in, in a square shape, then milk is a clear winner if you, if you love rectangles. Yeah, Ritter Sport's probably the most German of chocolate companies. I'd say it's like your stable... Like, I'd be far happier if someone got me Ritter Sport than if they got me a Milka bar. Like, far, far happier. Ritter Sport's far more interesting in my book. I think if Ritter Sport turned into a person, it would definitely be wearing Birkenstocks. <laughs> it's fucking true. Milka would be wearing a pair of Adidas. Yeah, that's so fucking um, on point. I think the other company, the other big company's Ferrero, but they're obviously Italian, but they're still... Mm. owned by i believe the same family uh yeah they're still owned by the ferrero family but they're massive as well and you can't like i remember ferrero in britain being like ferrero rocher was it that was the thing and ferrero rocher were like don't eat those they're adult chocolates they're for the adults you yeah. know they're not for the kids they're too good for the kids and then like, you get to germany and it's like fucking eat ferrero rocher if you want no one cares they're not like something special or like there's plenty of other options for that but they also have those like hazelnut things. They have those disgusting moncherie. Like, I don't know who's eating moncherie. Yeah, that's that's bad. You'd, like, sorry if you're a listener, if you're a moncherie fan, but you clearly have problems that I can't help you with. I think the thing I can I can eat one or two moncherie quite happily. I, I like cherry. I like cherry vasa. It's fine, but I don't know anyone that could eat twenty four <laughs> of them. It's just such an obscene amount in these packages. It's, I mean, they're interesting because yeah. they're they're quite hollow. They've got a cherry in them and cherry liqueur. So you bite into them, and it just sort mm. of like floods your mouth. <laughs> exactly. It's. I mean, it's an interesting concept. Not for me though. Not for me whatsoever. The hazelnut ones are are banging, but and and obviously, if you pile anything in a large triangle with golden wrapper, then that's going to make it a, a good option for for a chocolate. I'm curious, and I guess this is one for our German listeners, because every time I've made the joke about Mr. Ambassador, you're spoiling us. It doesn't seem to be <laughs> to be understood here. I don't think it was an advert in in Germany. Yeah. I get a feeling it just wasn't an advert. It, I've never met anyone. So was there a it. campaign here for Ferrero Rocher? How did they sell these products? Because in England, it was all about the upper class. It was really weird. I guess they just didn't. They would just say, here's some chocolate. Why don't you eat this chocolate? Eat this chocolate, you fuckers. <laughs> and then we were like, yeah, okay, fine. I guess as well, the other side is, like, Germany's relationship with Italy is slightly different. Yeah. Whereas I remember I remember those adverts in Britain because they were obviously dubbed. Yeah. Like, they were super dubbed. I reckon they came from Switzerland or something. <laughs> yeah. Super dubbed advert. Very, it looked very European. Uh, just by the style of the advert. You could always tell in Britain the difference in adverts because I think they used a different film. Mm-hmm or a different um, screen ratio or something. Cause, or you could always tell when something was coming from another country. Yeah, maybe they just didn't have those adverts because they, they didn't need to promote this chocolate for adults. I mean, Switzerland, mate, I, it's a great shout because, I mean, of, of all the countries with a lot of ambassadors, <laughs> Switzerland's where you go to first, really, isn't it? I say I think you might be onto a winner there. If you went to a party in Switzerland and they were like, brought out a big tray silver tray with a, a massive pyramid of frere rocher you'd be like yeah this is exactly what i was expecting (laughs) 
obviously Easter was last weekend and we did talk a little bit about that in our last episode but having gone through the Easter weekend we have noticed a couple of interesting cultural points and some things that you really only see in in Germany at Easter uh, and some things you see in Britain as well but but there's a lot of very German specific Easter traditions I, and I've got the feeling like Easter in, in Germany is quite a different experience I, I, I described last week to someone that Easter in Britain was like a shan Christmas it was yeah. like a shitty Christmas where you got some time off but you didn't get anything of yeah. real note except a chocolate egg which is nice but still it's not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles action figures you know how I feel about these things in Germany it just feels like there's a lot more decorations there's a lot more buy-in there's a lot of people doing lots of different things so we thought we'd just sort of go through some of the things that we maybe saw or experienced or read about I, um, I didn't see anyone on a Easter egg hunt but I do believe they are occurring in various places I'd seen some advertising for uh, an Easter egg hunt in I think it was the Monastery Gardens in Augsburg. I can't quite remember. So, do you get to do you get to race the <laughs> race the nuns? <laughs> Push the nuns out of the way. Get out of the way. It's my egg. Yeah, <laughs> go with God. <laughs> I, I didn't see any uh, Easter egg hunts, but I did see some on social media. Some of my wife's friends. Uh, I think their kids had Easter egg hunts organized by them. Yeah, yeah, l- local, <laughs> regional ones, not not run by the state or anything like that. <laughs> because <laughs> they do that in britain don't they with the yeah. national heritage sites and stuff it's yeah like an official easter egg hunt i think in in the white house they have special easter celebrations with a load of kids and i think they have an easter roll easter egg roll race that happened for the first time this year after a couple right. of years off for corona so that was a headline <laughs> i mean it's a big thing in britain rolling easter eggs downhills and i'd seen I think it was in the north of Germany there was something similar. Like, they do Easter egg rolling, but mm-hmm. that's not... A lot of these activities seem to be designed to, like, keep kids entertained during the school holidays. So there's, like, a lot of these organised events. I didn't see anyone off their own bat making some eggs and then rolling them down hills. These things are usually quite well organised. But here you also have the, the Easter wheel is rolled down hills as well as eggs. Easter wheel. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not sure what I think it's mainly up north and sort of the more rural areas. But they take a large oak wheel stuffed with straw, set it on fire, and then roll it down a hill. Oh, rock and roll. Yeah, so this like this spinning wheel of fire is supposed to symbolise uh, like the disc formed by the sun heralds the coming of spring. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's like Hearts Mountains and stuff like that. Right. Like that region, that's where they do that. So you have the East Easter Wheel as well. That's a quite a good one. I, I like I like that better than rolling an egg down a hill. Like let's set this wheel on fire and roll it down. I think the fire really tips it over <laughs> really the top. Does. Yeah, <laughs> I'll send my eggs in uh, lighter fluid next year. <laughs> that's my plan. Um, but something you see everywhere, and you definitely see in people's homes, are the Easter lamb cakes yeah usually like a, a lemon sort of sponge cake my one downstairs chocolate Ooh, yeah. look at you fancy dan but you'll definitely see a lot of omar's kitchens yeah. have the form the metal form that you would make it in it's they're they're the same everywhere the form is the same everywhere but you get a, sh- a cake shaped like a an easter lamb which is fun because you get to bite its head off and upset everybody is that how you, is that <laughs> how you do it you start with the head <laughs> i do it every time uh, every year I just bite the head off and everyone's like no nick how, you how could you do this this is an interesting <laughs> insight into the kind of person you really are I'm just, I just want to be chaos, but I, I, I'm not really. I mean, it'd be different if I ate a lamb's head. Like, that would be different. <laughs> that would be quite a statement at Easter. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, the lamb is 
a symbol mo- in most places of um, the Easter festival. There's obviously that connection with the Bible, but Easter's no time to be talking about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's, there is that religious symbolism that they have, and, and I just prefer having a nice sponge cake. I don't really want to think too much about crucifixion. I mean, it's also relatively inclusive as well, because it's not just about like the Lamb of God like it's not just about Jesus because those of the Jewish faith would also use um, like sacrificial lambs on their door frames uh, to remind the angel mm-hmm. of death to spare them. So it's not exactly the most positive aspect of, of, of the Easter story this or the, the Passover. Thing I tale. always think about. I think about um, Christmas and I think about Easter, and I'm like, these festivals are far older than Christianity. Like, let's stop bullshitting around and going like, oh well, yeah. you know, like Jesus did. No, he didn't. <laughs> Like, whether he did or didn't is one thing. We definitely didn't do it over Easter, because this is clearly a pagan festival, you lunatics. I think the Jewish story having the, the angel of death sort of ramps it up a bit more sort of Mad Max style like it's a bit more it's a bit more Rammstein definitely a lot more metal yeah. going on in the this the, the Passover story uh-huh. for sure than there is in uh, in the old Easter story certainly yeah when you start introducing the angel of death that's when things get a little yeah. bit more tasty so if the cake was Jesus shaped <laughs> would you eat his head first as <laughs> well imagine if they made Jesus shaped cakes fucking right I would <laughs> oh yeah let's move on from eating eating cakes the body of like christ you're fine you're fine <laughs> no, no, exactly. i'm literally eating the body of christ how can you hate me um if you walk around your average village during easter you'll certainly come across one of the many easter fountains some of them are very elaborately decorated essentially all it is is a local village has a fountain and they decorate it with lots of lovely painted eggs and flowers and depending Depending on how creative the, the townspeople are, there's arches and and ornate decorations. This is very much your neck of the woods, I think. Yeah, this is a Franconian thing. This is mm. the, the origin of this. I'm not sure how far this has spread throughout the nation. But yeah, around here, around my way, yeah, the Easter Fountain is, is a very, very serious thing. Mm. It's, it's a very positive element. Like It, it brightens up uh, and gets everyone involved. Uh, in the decoration because yeah to do this alone would be a real mammoth task you would be working from christmas uh, there's a lot going on so it's, it's a nice nice way to sort of praise water uh, at the same time as 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 the lamb of god but it, you know like that's one of the more striking differences between germany and and britain when it comes to easter is you have these rural communities and they're like making like community decorations and decorating the town and putting bunting up and yeah it does feel like a lot more efforts put into the decoration a lot more efforts put into the celebration but yeah speaking of effort let's uh, swing over to uh, saxony to talk about a group of really interesting yeah uh, or community of really interesting people the sorbs i've got to say i've got a lot of admiration for the sorbs i I think i might love this community of people because they are roughly sixty thousand in number they're they're sort of between brandenburg and saxony and and they're in a very particular part of the world that for centuries has been a battleground between poland the holy roman empire germany uh, Russia, like any, everyone's fought over this area for for centuries, and this little <laughs> community's just been getting on, just existing, continuing to exist, maintaining their traditions, speaking um, a very particular Sorbic language. It's it's a really really interesting community that not a lot of people knows about, and mm. the, the, I'm connecting to them to the decoration thing because one of the things I didn't realize until quite recently is you'll see everywhere especially in these high-end sort of arts Mm. and craft shops these beautifully decorated ornate eggs 
And if you look up a Sorbian Easter egg, you'll know, as soon as you see it, you'll be like, oh, I've seen those, every- they're everywhere. Very in at the moment. They look very sort of yeah. uh, country house style, very ornate and beautiful. And no one talks about them as the, like this this egg style, this style of decorating eggs comes from the Sorbian community in the in the east of, of, mm-hmm. of Germany. And and it's it's a real shame because they are massive and you get lots of companies reproducing them, but no one will actually go, oh, this is where it comes from. And it kind of, it's the story of the Sorbs, basically. They uh, kind of, they're not very well protected. A community that they've been trying to get their own state because they feel that they should have their own state given there's there's a, a very strong community and in, 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 in they've, they've existed for a very long time and i don't quite see why it's such a big issue for Germany mm. to have recognized this group in a bit with a bit more attention yeah. or at least stopped closing their schools that teach the sorbian language which seems very counter to what modern germany is about what they do um they do have aside from decorating the eggs is the easter riders and and it really speaks to yeah. how different they are they have different traditional dress um as well as a different sort of language essentially the way i'd sort of see it is the kind of like the kind of like how um wales is okay. in, in britain yeah. this sort of very distinctive community very distinctive language very distinctive culture and in fact i would say the sorbians more so because they have the national mm-hmm. dress and they have this quite close-knit communities they're like i said a small only a small number of them in comparison to i think there's the um millions of, of, of welsh people but the riders are really interesting and and the the garden that they're, they're sort of very traditional outfits and they're not it's not lederhosen mm. or dindles it's very different isn't it it's a very different outfit yeah i mean it's, it's got the look of eastern europe to a like Slavic mm-hmm. style, much more than than German. There's a lot more floral, but yeah, it's it's it's, it's a very distinctive dress compared to the trucks and and stuff we find here. There's very ornate headwear mm-hmm. on the go as well from the old uh, ladies. But yeah, the, the precision and skill with which they produce these these really iconic eggs is is very very impressive indeed. A lot of patience, a lot of skill to to do this. And they are beautiful, beautiful things. Mm, exactly, mm. handmade. And so, next time you see one, look up, look up Sorbian egg. And the next time you see one, yeah. you can point it out. Go, I know where that comes from. <laughs> Jumping to some of the other interesting traditions we have. A lot of bells were ringing on Sunday. Yeah. I live in an area that's surrounded by churches, so there's a lot of bell ringing for the good news of of Jesus coming back from the dead. Uh, it's Jesus Two, the sequel. <laughs> Help us, zombie Jesus! Help us, zombie Jesus! I, I want to. I, I feel like we're, we're giving Christianity good kicking. I, I, I was raised by a vicar, so I feel like um, I know this 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 religion a little bit too much. If anything, yeah, I went to a church school, so this yeah. isn't just. <laughs> It's almost affection. This is indoctrinated <laughs> hatred. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want to bully anyone's faith at all. I, I, I believe whatever you like, go for it. I, I try and live by Christian yeah. values, but I think when you're the youngest yeah. of, of four and your dad's a vicar and you hear your brothers ripping the piss out of church every Sunday, it's very hard to dispel that uh, particular bit of programming. So, <laughs> yeah. So there's lots of bells ringing. Um, one of the things. One of the things that you wrote in the notes that just made me piss myself with laughter. According to Roman Catholic legend, bells fly to Rome during the time of Easter and return the night before Easter. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you said what, mate? <laughs> yeah, in for a penny, in for a pound. Like, if you believe this, you believe that. It's, it's, it, like, you don't hear much about that these days. Uh, it's, it's Santa Claus is pretty much the only person doing these one-day trips. A little bit. Uh, but yeah. 
there was, there was quite a bit of this <laughs> going on. And yeah, I mean, a lot of these bells as well, they're, they're produced in England as well. There's a big bell-making community. I didn't um, realise that. Yeah, yeah. Some some of the best handmade bells, even even some of the German German installed ones are, are made in the UK. I knew that a lot of them, you don't get bell ringers. I said this to my brother and he's like, what? He was a bell ringer, of course. Mm-hmm. He's like, you don't have bell ringers? And I was like, yeah, they generally automate them. It's all automated. Disgusted. Uh. Disgusted. <laughs> yeah, so we've got, uh, we've also got Easter candles, but I mean, it's a, most religious sort of Christian ceremonies, there's going to be a whopping amount of candles in there. Expect to see some of those, some quite ornate ones in the neighbor's window who obviously gets them out for their, for their Easter decorations. We talked about setting a wheel on fire. We also have Easter bonfires. Yeah, that's a pretty big thing. Kind of like that. Yeah. And uh, there's more than a whiff of, of paganism in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Burn it all down. That's <laughs> one and then, and then finally, we can do what uh, Simon's already mentioned and clearly loves more than any other Easter tradition, which is going for a nice Easter stroll. Yeah. And even a uh, fan of the show, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. <laughs> I'd say he's a fan. I know he's dead. He can't speak for himself, but I reckon if he was, as long as he didn't listen to the episode about romanticism when I called him a bit wet, <laughs> would, would, I'd, 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 yeah, I'm claiming him. Goethe's a fan of Decades from Home. You heard it here first. This is a, a bold shout. <laughs> I think I think he'd appreciate our enthusiasm. <laughs> well, you think you think the Goethe Institute's going to come and get me? Come on, I'm not scared of you, Goethe Institute. Come and get me. <laughs> I'm a little bit scared of the followers. They, of the they are everywhere. Uh, so yeah, uh, Goethe was a fan of the uh, of, of a good Easter stroll, yeah. and even immortalised it in his work Faust. Because yeah, you would, wouldn't you? You know, if you're going to talk about making deals with the devil, you might as well go for a nice walk as well. <laughs> That's the message of Faust, really. Have, have a nice, have a nice ramble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You sold your soul to the devil, but. We are having a nice walk. <laughs> Look at these hills. <laughs> Look, I saw a rabbit. <laughs> One of my secret German crushes is is Boris Becker. I don't really know why I like him so much. And he also does this very interesting thing is when I hear him speaking in German, I find him less agreeable. But when he's talking in English, when he's doing the commentary for tennis, for example, he's so full of joy and enthusiasm that I find him to be absolutely intoxicating and also very, very funny. He's the only German I can think of who I draw that distinction with where I, I, I find him quite, not depressing to listen to, <laughs> but he doesn't have the same joie de vivre when he's talking in German. It could be the fact that when he's talking in German, he's normally doing it because he's in trouble in Germany. Yeah, good point. Boris has lived in the UK for a long time now. I think it's, I think he's hitting his decade, actually, in the UK. So, whoop, whoop, there's another link to the show. And he obviously feels very, very at home in England and is allowed to sort of live with a freedom, even though he's hugely famous and everyone knows who Boris Becker is because of his huge success at Wimbledon in particular. Uh, but on the world stage. But people just kind of let him be. Uh, but, yeah, unfortunately, Boris has got himself in quite a bit of trouble. Uh, and that's where we find ourselves today. That he was actually found guilty of four charges uh, in British court under the Insolvency Act. And that's on top of another previous 20 charges about his bankruptcy in 2017. And those are just his British charges. He's also facing issues in Germany as well. And so it's quite a sad story because obviously you have this guy who was 
the best in the world uh, for a few years, and he was the best in the world at seventeen. I think that's when he when when he won his first mm. Wimbledon. He was a boy, and he looked like a, a, a super young guy, and he had just all this power, all this success, all this money, and it's all kind of gone now. It's quite a sad, tragic tale, almost sort of like King Lear esque. And mm. so, yeah, I thought it'd be really nice to talk about Boris a little bit because he is. Is interesting. Do you, do you feel the way the same way about Boris as I do? Do you I like have, him? I have absolutely no like feelings about Boris Becker one way or the other. I mean, for me, Boris Becker was like I'm not a big tennis fan. Uh, tennis is sort of categorized for me in the same place that cricket's categorized in. It's the sound of the summer, like mm-hmm. people smashing tennis balls and going ooh. It was pretty much like <laughs> how I remember, yeah, a period of the sort of glorious nine-week summer holidays that we get in the sort of 80s and 90s. I know who he is. He's obviously a, a very big personality on British television for a long time. I think I think because he was so full of personality, as he said in English, I think that endeared him to British the British public. But also he was a German who didn't act or kind of sound like yeah. a german he didn't he didn't sound like he was on an episode of a lower low he didn't sound sort of like for you the war is over which is kind <laughs> of like how a lot of british yeah. people in the 70s and 80s would have thought of germany and uh and he was he was immense i've got his his career highlights here he went 49 singles titles in mm-hmm. 77 finals over 16 years that's massive that's that's a very yeah. glittering career uh, but as you said, he's he's really fallen into some dire straits, and sadly, he's he's had to auction off a lot of his trophies. His trophies were auctioned off recently for seven hundred thousand pounds to pay his debts. It does seem to me, though, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because you might be across this better than I am. The key thing that was interesting was at the end of this this article, which is is from the Guardian on on, on Boris Becker being found guilty on four counts of uh, four sorry four charges uh, under the Insolvency Act. It says right at the end that Alex J, the head of Insolvency and Asset Recovery at the litigation firm Stewart, said, "Make no mistake, being found guilty in a criminal court of bankruptcy offences is quite rare. Most people, when bankrupted, cooperate with the bankruptcy process, at least to a, gre- a degree that doesn't result in criminal charges being." brought and proved the level of mr becker's attempts to frustrate the process and avoid repaying his creditors must therefore have been quite exceptional now i don't know if who his debtors are if it's banks then uh it doesn't look like there's like an old biddy that he's roped into a pyramid scheme of some <laughs> kind uh it just seems like he was fucking awful with his money i mean would that be right one of the things that's interesting is that he very early on put a lot of faith in like management uh, and people to sort of manage his money for him, which I mean, yeah, when you're 17 and you're making millions, is quite a sensible approach. But it does seem that he has had some quite bad advice over the years and found himself being taken advantage of by some quite dodgy people. Really, the first charges here were connected to a four million pound loan in Spain against his estate in Mallorca that wasn't paid. That's a bit unclear about what how at fault he was on that but yeah not paying a four million pound loan is going to get you in trouble and then before that he'd borrowed 1.2 million uh from a british businessman called john caldwell with a 25 percent interest rate so yeah borrowing at 25 percent interest is not 
particularly good. It's not not necessarily the best way to manage your money. So it seems that he was just he was taken advantage of to a certain degree as well. I'm I'm not saying that he wasn't at fault because of course you have responsibility to look after your own uh, situation. He does seem to have a history of of not paying tax though. I mean he was done in 2002 in Munich for um, a two year suspended sentence and a fine of 300,000 uh, euros for tax evasion of about 1.7 million. And also accusations that even when he declared himself bankrupt in 2017, he was still attempting to hide his assets, which doesn't, it doesn't look good. And he does, it does, I mean, I, I don't care about people's personal lives, frankly. I, I'm never interested in celebrities sort of sexual escapades or, or whatever, even to the point where I'm not really that asked about politicians shagging around it's not a vital part of my understanding of of their personality necessarily but he's got a pretty checkered history there as well which if the british and again if the british tabloids get hold of you and you've got a checkered history and you have the status of someone like boris becker you're you're shark food because once there's blood in the water you're going to be singled out all that, you've seen it happen with millions of celebrities. Well, I mean, millions is probably enough. Uh, thousands <laughs> of celebrities that, as soon as they become uh, a staple of the showbiz pages, then you'll just see them photographed. And I think there was a period, certainly mid two thousands, where Boris Becker was essentially once a month there would be an article about him doing something stupid or being spotted somewhere he shouldn't be, or possibly his own worst enemy. You do realize what this makes him. This makes him the German Justin Bieber. <laughs> Go on then. Go on, explain. <laughs> well, like world famous and hugely successful at 17. And he had one of the best careers in his field and has had basically his entire adult life being told that he's special. And if you're told that long enough and you see evidence that you are special, whether it be your Porsche or your Escalade, um, it makes you think you can get away with this kind of wild shit. Now, we're not accusing Boris Becker of trying to illegally import a monkey um, <laughs> or anything that Bieber has done, but there are some there are some similarities in their stories. Uh, so if we end up seeing Justin Bieber either turn into a tennis coach late in life uh, or face charges, then, we, then the circle will be complete and we can say that Boris Becker is... The German Justin Bieber. I mean, yeah, I suppose. I suppose there's there's definitely a correlation. I mean, on that point you're saying about becoming fantastically successful at a very young age, there is a quote from uh, another Guardian article about Boris Becker from tennis greatness to financial disaster. Mm-hmm. And it says almost exactly on this point, in, he said, in sport you're called old when you're 31. It affects your confidence and self-belief. It took me a couple of years to re- redefine myself. I didn't know what to write on my passport as a profession. Ex-tennis player? It's about finding a new role that satisfies you as much. And I think the there is a there is an undercurrent of what exactly what you said. I mean, obviously you said it in sort of jest, but I think there is a truth in it of finding success really early on, not really having the right people around you, um, and then yeah essentially being thrown on the scrap heap at a very young age and then having like mm. a crisis of and you see this with other sports stars certainly with footballers when their careers come to an end what do we do now what do we do next and and that can be quite dangerous if you define yourself by being a sports star for for that length of time uh, i mean it doesn't it doesn't necessarily uh, explain 
all the problems he has now, but it, it does at least give us some kind of understanding or context to them. But yeah, it does seem like a real sort of tragic, like you said. I'm, I'm not sure I'd buy into it being as tragic as King Lear. That's a pretty tragic play. <laughs> um, when he, when when he gets blinded by his by his uh, his children and then uh, and he goes he goes insane um, in the woods. I can't quite remember what happens in King Lear. He just got end up in the woods, doesn't he? He ends up like a pauper. Leontes. Um, Leontes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's right. It's not quite at that scale, but it's definitely got those vibes of of sort of of yeah, like this tragic story about great success and then essentially infamy. Well, I'm just going to wrap wrap that up that thought with this quote from Boris because it is it is quite a beautiful quote he said I want to be a hero a small and good kind of hero even though I know heroes have very short lives the man's a poet Justin Bieber wish he could write lyrics like that <laughs> baby baby hey, baby ooh. I'll, I'll have you know I, I, that was some of the most iconic lyric writing <laughs> this side this side of fucking Usher <laughs> Service Loiter, that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening. Um, it does seem that Simon's written something for me for the ending, so I do apologise for this if it's indecipherable. Do contact us if you want to fully understand what exactly I'm going to say next. So, if you think the podcast is proper belter, real canny-like, why not chuck us a rating on iTunes, which only takes as long as it does for me to smash a steak bake and can proper help us like yeah I know that's what happens when you have Simon write the script anyway retweet us share a link or post with the hashtag decades from home all lowercase on Twitter or Instagram you can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com slash decades from home like Sam and Al did this week who were big spenders so big thank you to Sam and Al that money will go into a, a pot for some exciting ideas and plans we have for the future so yeah have a think about it we're also still running the fundraiser or at least we're keeping the links for raising funds to support refugees in the Ukraine so please have a look at the show notes for those links uh, and give generously as ever if you have any questions feedback or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover you can tweet Simon on at decades from home and you can tweet me at 40% German you can also get us on 40% German at gmail.com if you have time take a look at 40% German.com weekly articles are up every Saturday all that's left to say is thanks and Shola Amiobi I mean choose. Mr. Love the Man Jabba.